There are 574 tribal nations represented across the United States. They each have their own cultural richness, way of living, and customs. They also have health disparities and trouble with the acquisition of resources. Tribal Health, the podcast, wants to shed light on them and bring solutions available to improve access for tribal and indigenous communities. And now your hosts, Melody Lewis, Mario Trujillo, and Morgan Haynes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. Today, we have guest Maria Dagger. Hi, Maria. It's a pleasure to meet you. I stalked you on LinkedIn. I've heard great things about you from Melody, <laughs> which, you. Always, <laughs> which always you. means a lot. So I'm honored to be meeting with you. So I'm the president of Tribal Health. Um, we staff, I think it's 17 different IHS or tribal facilities across the country. And our mission is just to improve the quality care through consistent quality invested providers. So we have hundreds of nurses and providers across the nation. And I think we're doing some cool work. We seem to be getting more work than we can handle right now, which is a blessing. But we're so we're trying to be really intentional about how we grow. So that's a little bit about us. I'm a single mom of two. I love what I do. I feel blessed every day. And getting to do this podcast and work with Mario and Melody has been huge. So it's pretty much me and and tribal. Mario, you want to give an intro? Hey, I'm Mario. So I'm the communication logistics lead. I oversee travel for all of our providers that are locum traveling. And then Morgan and I oversee the CCRT deployments. So those are the critical care, critical care response teams. And um, so for those facilities in surge or in need of critical care education because of the pandemic, we, we send and deploy those teams for about 14, 14 days on average. And we've been on 21. We're on our 21st deployment right now in the Great Plains area in Pine Ridge. And it's awesome. I love working with the facilities and the providers to kind of bridge that. And it's really cool. Yeah. So I love what I do. It sounds like it. And you and I have good names, so... Yes. Love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Always a great connection. <laughs> Wonderful. And then, Maria, I'll tell you a little bit about the podcast since you already know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, the podcast was kind of like I'm not sure if I told you this, and I can't remember now, but I'm the director of diversity for tribal health now. Yes. And so, Okay. I was like, I can't remember if I did or not. So basically, you know, it's really trying to go in to make sure that the providers and those that work with tribal communities are equipped with the knowledge, be able to provide the care and the services to the communities that they're serving. It's a big task, but it's a, a lot of fun, a lot of awareness and capacity building. But we thought the podcast would be a good avenue for that is really talking about how diverse communities are. What comes with each community is very different when it comes to like culture and language and practices and customs and access to resources and infrastructure and all that good stuff. (laughs) So I personally have, and I'm sure this is Morgan's outlook on this as well. I'm hoping John jumps jumps on here sometime. I, I sent him the invite so you can meet him. But my personal goal is really to highlight individuals that like yourself that I've looked up to that have been doing the work in Indian country and 
um, giving your insight and your feedback on, you know, that the knowledge that you hold because it's needed and we need to share it. And we want to highlight the women that are doing the work. Awesome. So heads you. Well, it's just my honor, and I learned so much from you uh, in so many ways. And and really, the work that you do, Melody, helps keep ITCA, the Intertribal Council of Arizona, relevant in the communities. And I appreciate that. And and it's, you know, sometimes we can get super focused on what we're doing with the tribal leaders. They're our board members. But at the same time, we need to have our uh, ear to the ground and what's happening in the community and, and people who are working on the front lines. We kind of do a little bit of front line and behind the scenes. But I think really, and maybe Melody, you would agree, I think most of the work we do is really kind of behind the scenes and people may not know. So I appreciate Morgan and, and Mario and all of you giving me the opportunity to kind of share a little bit about how we work and what we do. And um, hopefully we won't be such a mystery out there in Indian country. I want to know about you too. I mean, you have to be a, a cool um, woman. So I think we want to know a lot about um, ITCA, but, but you too, and your story of how you got here. So Melody always facilitates that, but I just want to plug that because I think you seem pretty your background's interesting and like to hear more about your experiences as well. Sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I always um, love to share because sometimes it, it gives, you know, someone kind of coming along the path of developing their career, an idea. Maybe I, I can just learn from what went wrong with Maria or what went right with Maria. However, um, you know, use me in that way because I, I feel like at this point I've lost so many of my mentors recently due to the pandemic that now I had to accept the role of becoming a mentor, which was, you know, as a lady, you know, it's like, oh, it's that I'm all grown up now. It's time for me to do that. <laughs> and so I'm accepting and embracing and enjoying that role, kind of stretching it out there a little more than just, you know, maybe some of my team members here. And I'm a single mom as well. Of course, my kids are all grown now, <laughs> but they've been on this path with me for many, many years. They're, you know, still supporting and pushing me along. But I'm happy to share if there's anything I've done, you know, that might help open a door or, or let someone know, you know what, I can just kind of bypass that and learn that lesson from what she did. <laughs> I love that. Maria, do you want to start out and just tell us a little bit about your community and uh, where you come from? Sure, sure. So I'm actually from the East Coast. And so I'm from a small town in Maryland called Akakik. Akakik, Maryland, and I'm a member of the Piscataway tribe of Southern Maryland. We are the indigenous people of the Maryland area, but not only Maryland, we actually kind of went into Virginia and Washington, D.C., what is now known as Washington, D.C., and actually throughout the mid-Atlantic region area. And so, uh, so many of the words and names for places East Coast still have those traditional names and names that people take for granted, like the Potomac is an Algonquian mm -hmm. word from our language, which means river with a bend. And there's the Patuxent, and there's the Chesapeake, and there's Aquasco, and, and, you know, all of these places that I grew up just, and, and those names are still there for the, you know, the places that people go to every day, high-level officials. But, um, so that's where I come from. I 
grew up in Southern Maryland, had so many opportunities because Washington, D.C. was just, you know, sort of um, around the corner. And I could go and participate in so many different programs and activities and got to be in the Billy Mills National Indian Youth Leadership Program, which later became Unity. And so before it was Unity, that's who started it. And I'm still friends with Billy Mills. He's still on my cell phone. He's still a mentor of mine. I didn't know that. That's a fun fact, by the way. Yeah. And yes. And so that that's an important fact. And some of the people that were part of it when I was in it, that would be Mark Trahan, who's the editor for Indian Country Today, and just a few other people out there that are still very active in their careers that we were all kids in the Billy Mills National Indian Leadership Program so many years ago. Of course, I won first prize. In the essay contest. <laughs> Heck yeah, you did. That's amazing. <laughs> and I didn't know a lot of people. I went and sat at the dinner and there was an empty table. So I just said, hey, I'm good. I'll go sit there. And lo and behold, here comes Billy Mills and all of the people associated with him, Pete Homer and all these people. They said, oh, there's an empty seat. And they came and sat at my table. Then I got to meet them. And I still, I mean, they became lifelong mentors, which is just what? such a rare, wonderful experience. And you should know that Pete Homer, later on, uh, or before he went to D.C., this all happened in D.C., he was the first executive director of the Intertribal Council of Arizona. Mm. Yes, Mr. John Lewis uh, came after him. Of course, Mr. Lewis stayed for 41 years. <laughs> but Pete Homer, who I met in D.C., had already been executive director of the Intertribal Council of Arizona. Now here I am so many years later serving in that same role. But um, I think this is I think this is like a really good segue of like going into your involvement with healthcare and exactly like how ITCA plays a role in that broader scope. Sure. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. So here at the Intertribal Council of Arizona, we are a tribal consortium of 21 of the 22 tribal nations in Arizona. Um, Navajo Nation is very large. They're basically their own tribal consortium. And so they don't sit on our board formally, but we do work with them very, very often. And Really, the Intertribal Council of Arizona, we've been able to grow the organization uh, quite a bit over the years, going on my eighth year here. And um, we're approximately a $27 million um, annual operating budget. We have 66 full-time staff, and we focus on three primary areas, and uh, that would be health, research, and environmental quality kind of the full circle of what com- what keeps a community healthy. And we also operate a tribal epidemiology center, which a lot of people not too familiar with epidemiology, but if you just think of any time a human being comes in contact with the environment, things can go wrong. If you remember the Honda mm-hmm. virus that impacted the Navajo Nation. So human beings, basically, we're kind of delicate. (laughs) And so when we come in contact with uranium and we come in contact with things, it can really have a very bad detrimental impact on our health. And so we're funded through the Indian Health Service to operate a tribal epidemiology center and many, many programs under our epidemia. We call it tech, our tech center, which all are some are preventative types of programs and some are health promotions types of programs. 
Wow. And of course, during the pandemic, we already were in place. I always tell people that we were already doing the work that is needed during a pandemic. That That's our everyday life, our everyday work. We just basically expand it, you know, exponentially on the work that we were already doing. And then we had opportunities where community members, I know Melody came by and dropped off tons of water and supplies, which we were able to get out to the communities. And we had a lot of people that just kind of worked through us to help do that. We were already sending and shipping items. And so we just took it all in and we were able to help get that out as well. And we do this very quietly. It's not for commercial purposes or press releases or news or anything, but it's just our way, you know, and even the tribal leaders are sometimes very quiet about how they help one another. They don't want it publicized. They just want to, want to be there for each other. I think that's such the truth. So this is also kind of like fun information to know, but we did a YouTube episode with Maria and ITC at ITCA. And that whole humbleness part of what she's referring to is pretty much a characteristic of how we are raised pretty much, you know, like, we don't brag and we don't talk about the things we do. We're behind the scenes. And we actually talked about that a lot, about being really humble. But at that meeting is when I found out so much about Maria and so much. My brother was actually one of the the panelists, too. And I was like, I didn't even know you did that. I talked <laughs> to my brother every single day and I had no idea he did any of that, you know? <laughs> yeah. I so the work that's... that you're doing at ITCA is just very, very much needed because we need that voice. I thank you. I, you know, I really appreciate hearing you say that because you can help us let people know a a lot more about what we do because we are a little holding back when it comes to just kind of sharing some of the things that we do but Morgan and Mario we're actually running two separate organizations here so we have the Intertribal Council of Arizona which is where you know we have all of the federal programs that we run health prevention and just health promotion and all kinds of things that we do there but we have a separate entity called the Intertribal Association of Arizona versus Intertribal Council so Intertribal Association of Arizona and that is where we form that collective voice of our tribes here in Arizona and we advocate on all of these issues that we need uh, to impact policies and to influence legislation actually to help improve how that policy might impact tribal communities. And so our tribal leaders are, are well known throughout the country, carry a lot of weight. There, there are days we send letters to the White House. There are days we send letters to the governor of Arizona. There are days we work with other intertribal organizations across the United States, but they do contact us and always want to have the weigh-in of the tribes here in Arizona. And I think, you know, being native from Arizona um, locally and just seeing some of the influence that you guys have had with legislation and moving things forward, it's it's interesting. But to know what all goes into it, I'm sure we don't even know, you know, a quarter of it or a tenth of it. What has it meant to you to see Deb Holland? I mean, you're from D.C. and and working in the space you do as a woman and an indigenous woman. What has that meant to you? Has it, has it struck you in, in any meaningful way? And that's a wonderful question. And, and I should say that I started off working in D.C. where I um, 
co-founded a national internship program for Native American college students, bringing them to D.C. during the 90s and placing them in the offices offices of the federal agencies, senators, congressmen, and even the White House as well. And so we've been waiting for this moment. We've been waiting for this opportunity to have one of our own reach that level of becoming a member of Congress and going on and going further. Why not the White House? We've been waiting for this, and that was part of our plan way back then during the 1990s, which sounds like ancient times. And so it's a wonderful full circle feeling, and we're just absolutely so, so proud of Secretary Holland. And we did have the opportunity to meet with her here, but we're just beyond proud that she achieved the goals that she's achieved and that she's just going to be such a strong voice for Indian country. Yes. Um, One more question I had too, when you were saying 21 different tribal leaders, essentially, is who, would you say that's who you collaborate with and report to in in some way? Another great question. And yes, they are my bosses. I have 21 bosses. (laughs) So that's what I was thinking when you said that. I instantly thought, oh my gosh, you poor thing, or you're a miracle. You didn't hear me right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, truly though, but can you talk to us a little bit about that? You mentioned humility and respect, and that has to play a role in this in this collective group or else I can imagine it would be you wouldn't make a lot of progress which you clearly are can you talk to us a little bit about that dynamic Yes, sure. And, you know, and that's really at the forefront of my mind when I wake up every single day and, and you, you know, I'm the youngest of six kids or I grew up in the D.C. area, really out in the rural area on a family farm. But protocol was just something that we were taught early that I always understood. And, and then I saw how it worked within my own tribal community. And when we would go to D.C., I saw that you actually could really have a lot of impact through protocol and diplomacy. And so I just got sort of a informal training on that, I guess, as a kid growing up, we would participate in all kinds of rallies and walks and protests and all kinds of things. And so that active activist side is still in there, <laughs> but just sort of couched or, you know, with, a, you know, more of a, you know, a diplomatic approach now because of who we work with, you know, and we're working with elected officials and we report to 21 tribal leaders. They are my direct bosses. And I came here to just you know, continue that um, that demeanor that the tribes in Arizona are well known for. Very strong, very organized, standing shoulder to shoulder on the issues. And that's all, yes. you know, I ever knew uh, when I was in D.C. working with tribes. And I just wanted to continue that. And I, hopefully we've been successful and, and able to do that. That's awesome. And then I love that you said that your background is just so focused in like strong activism and fighting and then you coming here saying, okay, like more diplomatic. But I mean, you look at our times now and working with the tribal leaders, like what an important time that you're in this position now during all of these. I mean, it's it's wild what's going right. on. Right, right. Absolutely. Right? And it's Mark, so yeah. needed. Yes. Like, Wow, that I mean, I'm kind of speechless a little bit because I mean your your history and your I mean you built a firm foundation for your love for activism and now look at what you're doing. Like you get to work with the leaders of these tribes and you're you're making moves, right? It's, you're it's, you're not just talking to them. <laughs> not just talking to them. You're saying, "Hey, we need to make a change not only in our state, 
in our country, because look at what's going on around us. Like, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And you didn't table your activism. You're actively, <laughs> you're actively doing it. Thank you so much. You know, that's a wonderful way to think about it because, you know, you, as an activist, you never want to kind of lose the fire. You know, you want to make sure that you still have that fire. And over the years, I've just seen how doors open and I've seen how doors close. And it's and it's all about respect. And you want to have that respect. And our tribal leaders, they're just so respectful to work with. And it just makes my job a lot easier when we're trying to get things done. And uh, we strike a tone, we strike a tenor, and we just kind of walk right through with that on, all, on so many different levels. And it, it's just a wonderful feeling to have them, to have the trust that we all have, hopefully, <laughs> but, you know, really we do underlying all of that is a trust that the tribal leaders have for one another and for, you know, this wonderful organization, which was here, you know, so many years before I ever came here. And it's just my honor to serve in this role. Um, Maria, I just have one more question. And I was thinking about the tribal communities that we serve here across the nation, I mean, I understand it, some of the needs that we have within our communities, but in the role that you're in, do you have any, can you share any of those needs or advocacy needs that maybe people that don't know need to know? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well. So for so many of the legislative policies that get initiated, they really are not inclusive of tribes and the tribal voice and, and the differences that exist on tribal lands. And so and that could be anywhere in the United States. You know, there are 574 federally recognized tribes across the United States. But just focusing here in Arizona, tribes control just under 30 percent of the land base. And so even issues such um, as the Colorado River, which we all know is in drought phase. And so we're getting ready to go into negotiations of how the color, the future of the Colorado River will be managed. And so a big part of my advocacy right now is to ensure that tribes and tribal leaders are at the stakeholder table when those conversations begin to take place. And so that's one issue, but there are many, many others we get involved in. And it's all about promoting tribes and making sure that tribes are included and that we are in the, the leadership conversations when these things are being decided. I have a follow-up question to that. Do you find it still today challenging to get a seat at the table for these big discussions? That's a great question as well. You guys are really, you're on <laughs> today. <laughs> uh, you know, I would say it varies on the issues, Mario, but overall, I would say the tribes in Arizona are just known to stand shoulder to shoulder. And I can't say that there was a time since I've been here, and that's eight years, where it was just like, no, we're not hearing from you or no, we're not listening. It's always been, my door is open to you, come and sit, let's talk, let's work through this. And so I would say that just just with the sheer power that the tribal leaders have as a collective force and uh, as unified and organized as they are. And it's different here than mostly any area I've worked in. I've worked nationally, not to say that it's better or worse. I'm just saying it's different. But that really has um, carried uh, a lot of weight and opened a lot of doors and very high level diplomatic exchanges take place from 
like I said, from the state all the way up to the White House. I've seen it happen, and it's just a wonderful activity you know, to be a part of. And Heck yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I said that was my last question, but now I have another question. <laughs> Maybe just giving insight, right? Because my, you know, me, I'm selfishly have this like how to workforce, right? How to create more indigenous representation specifically in healthcare and nursing and the medical fields and basically all of the departments that ITCA is in charge of. So if I were to kind of like get some insider feedback for those that are listening right now, how what are your thoughts on cultivating the workforce in indigenous communities? And I mean, any thoughts on that? Sure. So one of the greatest loves of my life was the WINS program, Washington Internships for Native Students, which was a in- national internship program, which I co-founded in the early 90s. And we would recruit American Indian college students of all ages, you know, from 18 to 64. You're in college, you have an opportunity. And they would come and stay in D.C. for nine weeks. And we had them all over in, you know, congressional offices, the White House, NIH, National Institutes for Health, all of these places. And I found that, you know, I keep in touch with so many over the years that they are really actively working in these careers that they were interning in. And so I'm a big, huge proponent of internships, working with organizations like ACES. I'm on one of their uh, their National Tribal Advisory Council. And um, I, even here at the Intertribal Council, we've had as many as eight interns focused on epidemiology and various health fields. But that practical experience, to me, that's the 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 changer, the, that changing moment for our, our kids from our communities. Once they have that opportunity just to experience working in the field, learning about the field and, and creating mentors within that field, it really kind of opens that door for their future. And so that, I think, if you have an opportunity to get into an internship, that's that's the way to go. And then to piggyback off of that, for those that have never worked with tribal communities and for those that are serving tribal communities now, do you have any thoughts or feedback or advice for them as they work for the tribes? I think that, for example, we had the CDC Foundation provide five surge staffers during the height of the pandemic and the height of the onset. And they were not Native Americans, but they were all health professionals and they were willing to come out and just go and provide their services with five different communities. And so I worked and with the CDC, we were able to bring them out and make that happen. And then at the end of the, I think they had, you know, several months that they were going to be there. At the end of that time, they didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay. And several tribes were able to hire those individuals. And then the CDC Foundation was trying to find more money to keep them on. And so I say, just open your, you know, your heart to have that that experience and you will you will see you know this the rewarding opportunity it is for you you know you you think that you're giving but you're getting just as much as you're giving in those moments wow <laughs> that's all i had this that um you know maria how we did in our in the podcast and i asked you what your favorite wrestling was Yes, do you, I do you remember wanna, that. <laughs> do you want to share your favorite wrestling and use it in the sentence? Well, um, you know, I'll switch my words because <laughs> this <laughs> one I've been using a lot, one that everybody uses. But whenever I talk to some of my friends back east up at the Seneca Nation, the word is geez, 
geez, geez, I'm hungry. Geez, I need to call her back because I know she's mad at me. You know, geez, that's all you hear when you talk to everybody back up at Seneca Nation. So now that's sort of on my go-to slang word, geez. Ours, ours for that is golly or oh. god, we didn't call it that. <laughs> now that one's going to be in my head. Thanks a lot, Melody. <laughs> Uh, oh that's all i have thing now huh (laughs) it is i'm morgan or mario do you guys have any last thoughts or questions i i don't have any i mean i'm just so inspired and i think it's so clear through your energy and your presentation how you're able to do what you do and i love i just your path is very inspiring So thank you for all of the work you are doing. I think Mario did a great job of encompassing the wow factor of who you are and what you do. And we're grateful for this. And I would love to take you to lunch sometime if if we could do that. Yeah. (laughs) But um, we should do that. This has been great, Maria. I mean, you clearly have a gift and who you are comes across and it's an advocate, a diplomatic advocate. And I think that's a true gift. So thank you for this. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story. And I mean, it's obvious that you have built such a strong foundation from, I mean, from your home. And then so I mean, I'm super grateful for for your story and the work that you do, because I mean, it's obvious there's more work to do. So sharing your story with us, I'm excited to, to continue working. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you. It's my honor. Okay. And Melody, you, you know what our building looks like? You've got to bring Morgan and Mario over. We could have lunch outside upstairs on the balcony oh. area. It's really beautiful and it will be socially distanced and all of that. We, we'd love to have you over and, and you could be our guest for lunch outside. Awesome. Oh, we're in. Yes. Let I'll us work know. with Verna. <laughs> yes. Tell her. So thank you everybody for joining us for Tribal House Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For the show notes, resources, and more, please visit podcast.tribalhealth.com. If you want to learn more about how tribal health can be a solution to health disparities, please visit us at www.tribalhealth.com.